Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Kira Austin Young, the the Reverend Kira Austin Young, and you are the Reverend Phil Duvall, and we are, are you there, God? It's Kira and Phil. We're going to get really good at that someday. I I think it's awkward because it's like, we're sort of waiting for people to like log on, and I don't know. I don't. I, I always go back to uh, Wayne's World. Of course, everything goes back to Wayne's World. I was 12 years old and they go on to their working at that studio and they do the whole like the guy in the, that does the countdown and he's like, five, four, three. Like that. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything like that. We just have- No, me I know. Button. It's just kind of like- We have me hitting a button and then we're like, is it working? Yeah. Are we there? <laughs> like that's, it has to start every time. It's just like, Hello. So good morning, Betsy. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, all who are there. Kathy Baggett's joining us. We may have some others. And if you're watching this after the fact, good morning, uh, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Kira, boy, did we miss you last week? Yeah, you know, I saw I I saw the um the recording pop up, the live stream pop up, uh, and I did not get a chance to listen to it, but I I felt um heartened and also a little bit of FOMO that it was going on without me so I I still feel like the first six months uh when I was doing this by myself uh that that was just like you weren't you just weren't here yet like it's like I was like it was like inevitable yeah and so those were all just times when you like you couldn't make it essentially and then and then you finally showed up and here we are yeah, yeah. Les- Les- Leslie, are we there, God? That's that's how it feels. Are we are we here, God? It's <laughs> us. Let us in. So good morning, Mary. Oh man. Um, I well, listen. I want to just tell you, you were missed, and I think that you would have added a tremendous amount to the conversation. I forgot to put my hat on. There we go. Got the old school C today. The old school C. Um, but but. Max, as a guest, was such a phenomenal, wonderful guest. And our conversation was one that I will remember for a long time. Um, And I I know that you'll get a chance to listen or watch at some point. Others will as well. But it's just been a really meaningful thing uh, to be able to do. And so, you know, um, it's interesting when you have these moments in your ministry and these moments in your church's life that sort of are, 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 I don't know what you call it, like, like, uh, like, uh, like hallmark moments, like moments where something where the Holy spirit breaks through and you go, well, we, we, this has been done now. There's no, like, you know, there's no one doing this or there's no going back. And why would we, but there's that sense of like a new thing has happened, right? You can't. Um, and, and I think, you know, you, you don't want to make a person and I've, and I've said this to Max, you don't want to make a person sort of like, um, anything more than being a person. They don't need to be idealized or idolized or turned into sort of like, um, you know, like uh, symbols for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and all that being said, uh, the, the journey that Max shared with us last, last week about their um, journey to acceptance of their trans identity and the way that the, the, the name change that they went through and the churches uh, uh, sort of walking alongside Max in all of that and then uh, culminating in us having a name change liturgy at the church with, with, with no protest, like <laughs> yeah. no, no, like nobody huffing and leaving over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and no sort of thing. It, it represented something really meaningful to me as a priest. And I think to, to the, to redeemer as a church. Mm-hmm. And it's what's fascinating the most to me about it. And I'll say this because I hadn't, I didn't get, I, I don't think I realized this, but I'd love your, this is, I kind of want your, I want to know where you, what this sounds like to you, I guess is what I want. Like yeah. am I making sense here? So often we decide we spend years and years and years deciding something, and then it's been true to us for years and years and years, and then we finally liturgize it and ritualize it. Mm. And what's interesting to me about the the sort of like movement within the church to acknowledge, accept, and affirm our trans siblings and recognize that is something that we are still in the midst of while we are while mm-hmm. we are liturgizing and ritualizing that, which isn't to say we haven't done the work. And it isn't to say that like care hasn't been taken and intention because of course it has, but it's a thing that like for many of us, 
we are very much, we haven't like gotten to a place where people are like, oh my gosh, have we not, how, why have we not done this already? Right. <laughs> right. Like, like with, like with game, like same sex marriage, there was a mm-hmm. point or like ordaining women to the priesthood. There was a point where there were people in the church just be like, are we like, have we seriously not done this yet? Like, where are we? Yeah. And, and, and I think this is in a different space than that, um, which, I, which might freak some people out. That's a, but like, oh, wow. The Holy spirit freaked you out. Tell me more. You know, right. <laughs> I don't know. So that's I'm, I'm sitting with it in a different way. And I'm wondering if that makes sense at all. Yeah. You know, I was kind of thinking about this um, kind of like the just issues of gender identity, you mm. know, are kind of big, um, big talking points nowadays. I live in a state where they seem to be targeted by conservative legislation. And that's a big kind of culture war issue. Um and, and like, I, I've been thinking a lot about how my relationship to uh, trans and non-binary and sort of other gender identity issues, my, you know, my um, just relationship with gender, even my own or other, you know, other people's, mm-hmm. how that has uh, like changed and grown over my lifetime. And I remember being in um, I was in divinity school and Bishop Gene Robinson came to talk to, um, I think actually he came to talk to both the, like the medical school LGBTQ Alliance, and then also, you know, spoke at the divinity school and kind of met with, met with some of us. And I remember in his speech and his kind of like keynote speech, he said that, um, trans issues are sort of the next frontier. And this was of course, like now 10, 11 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And I remember kind of thinking like, mm, I don't know if people are really ready for that. I don't know yeah. if I'm ready for that. Like, I don't know where I stand on, oh, yeah. on some of this. Um, I mean, in, in some ways there's that, I think g- like gut reaction of something that you don't understand. That's just yeah. like, I don't know, this seems weird and icky. Like, right, right. You know? uh, this does not fit my understanding and therefore it's probably not right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which has been like how I was raised. Yeah. Yeah. I live, I lived, I have lived in a world that was tailored for people like me. Yeah. And I think like the movement for me from, from that, like kind of initial reaction, which was, you know, I mean, I remember being a kid and my mom explaining to us that my, um, one of my, the, the teachers at my brother's school was, you know, what we would say is transitioning or who is, you know, now living, yeah, as a woman, whereas before they were living as a man. And, and it was like, definitely um, presented to me as like, this person is severely mentally ill. um, This is very weird. And, and now I think about how at least the circles I run in now are just so much more, um, I mean, accepting and willing to learn. And I think I came to a place of, um, of believing what people say about themselves. Thank you. That's like, <laughs> like, even though it's foreign from my experience, I can't imagine what that kind of gender dysphoria or what it might feel like to kind of feel that something is just sort of intrinsically wrong with yep. like your experience of who you are and the body you live in and the way you present yourself to the world and like all of that. Um, I, yeah, I believe what other people say about themselves. And that has been like, when I kind of committed to doing that, like everything sort of fell into place. It's a, it's a very liberating um, decision <laughs> to, th- to decide that you don't know what's best for everybody is actually incredibly <laughs> right. liberating. And that, and that it, you are not the arbiter of what is right and, and wrong in the world. Um, the church would be so much better off if we didn't consider ourselves the arbiters of morality. Um, the, the safeguards and the, and the watchdogs of, and the, you know, gatekeepers of what is right in the world. We'd be just a lot more Christ-like it turns out. Yeah. And I know, I mean, everything you're saying is, um, is exactly where I I've been, where, where I'm getting at, where I'm, where I'm getting to, where I'm learning. When I say I've been, I mean, recently, like it's new. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it I have the, 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 um, understanding, affirming, accepting, um, uh, transgender sort of, uh, identity. I'm, I'm, and I'm still working on 
I want to get the language right. You know, um, there's a lot of ways that people speak and, and, and uh, are disrespectful, either intentionally or unintentionally. If I say anything disrespectful in this case, it's definitely unintentional. But but um, and, and, and please, if you're listening and you know better, please educate me. Um, but what I would say is that's an area of of understanding that I, I where I've just been very ignorant and very slow to learn. And like you said, sort of like, I don't really know what to do with that. I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Like, you know, uh, can, can that not come down the pike? Like, can we not deal with that? <laughs> and um, because I have the freedom to say that as a cisgender person, like who has, as you said, never experienced gender dysphoria. Like, uh, I mean, I don't think that I have. I, I have a, that's a, I was going to make a cheap joke about how I don't like most men, but that's not fair. So <laughs> I, I, I won't do that. I don't think I've experienced that kind of the, the description of gender dysphoria doesn't fit something in my experience. So therefore, since I haven't experienced it and the world is tailored towards my reality, you know, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. And that's shifted. Um, um, but like you said, what if I believed people? And then um, like literally, and, and, and let me take it out of the abstract and into the like, like the personal and, and uh, experiential for me, um, I had to make a decision about our friend Max, who was on the show last week. Um, do I believe them or not? Mm-hmm. It's not, just, you know, it's like, like, believe trans people. Yes, absolutely. That's a very good principle. Believe what people say about themselves. Yes, that's exactly right. And I agree. And also the way that I was able to experience that and access that, that reality and that liberation was by um, believing Max. And, and then a big piece of it, a big piece of it, your book was hugely helpful for me, Aww. which I'd had for like years and never read it until I decided to have you on the show. And then I was like, yeah. I better read better this read book. It. Um, and so I was like plowing through it and I was just like, and your whole thing, like, and someone else, others have said this, but you were the first person that like, it really like sat with me where you were just like, what if we just believed that like believed women and actually believed that women, um, were as important as unborn children and that, and that women had, um, agency in that space, um, for their own bodies, like, and it's not a denial or, or, or disrespect of of the, the fetus, the unborn, the yet to be, whatever we want to describe that as. It's not meant as disrespect. It's just endowing and acknowledging the woman who is here and alive and walking among us with it, with just the right amount of actual respect for who she is. I, I mean, I know that you're like, yeah, yeah, no, I know Phil, duh. (laughs) But like, as you know, that's still new for a lot of us people. Right. Well, I think it's actually a pretty big move to say that, like, maybe people are experts about their own lives and their own experiences, their own limits, their own capabilities, like maybe, you know, and, and there are times to push people, there are times to challenge people, you know, like all of that is true. But like, what if we just like, to start with, just like, assumed that people were the experts of their own, of their own lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm about to blow your mind a little bit, but not with how good I am, probably with how much of a disaster I am. No. I'm not going to be like, I'm so brilliant. I'm going to be like, want to hear how messed up I am. And you're going to be like, <laughs> right. Um, so do you know, I can, I'm, I'm now where you are about this. Do you know how I got there? No. Uh, it's from it's from my past as being libertarian. Mm. Yeah. Because the whole libertarian thought process is like, listen, as long as I'm not messing with other people, I should be able to do with my body what I want. Yeah. That's that's the premise. Yeah. <laughs> which actually fits beautifully with LGBTQ plus realities, which um, libertarians historically are 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 very pro-choice. Um, are 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 like when it comes to laws. Um, when I was reading, um, I was reading the, uh, that book by Jim Wallace about America's original sin. It might be called America's original sin. I don't recall, but um, it was talking about racism in, in America and describing the systems that were um, and are, uh, you know, sort of like built to intentionally marginalize whole groups of people based on the color of their skin and their background. And I was like, that's not treating each individual as a saint, a sacred being. Yeah. And I was, so it was literally through like, and I'm, and I will, I'm, I'm, um, I don't fit into that libertarian category anymore, but I also like, 
I think some people hear that and they're like, oh, he's, a, he's, he's progressive now, or he's this or he's that. <laughs> I don't know where to, I, I would just say, I don't feel comfortable placing myself in one of those things. Not because I'm like above it. I'm certainly not above it, but right. because I'm in a place of trying to figure out who I mm-hmm. am as a Christian. But what I will, and, 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 but what I will say is like this past f- few years, um, watching people who claim to be libertarian, um, not using themselves as um, um, shields to protect black bodies at Black Lives Matters, uh, 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 you know, Black Lives Matters, uh, Black Lives Matter uh, rallies and and protests, um, and not uh, sticking up for people like Philando Castile, who is a registered gun owner getting shot while mm-hmm. not using his gun, things like that. Like, I'm like, well, if you if you are serious about this then I would see you actually sticking up for these people's bodies and, and, and these people's agency and their sovereignty as people. And instead using that, that using their, their, their time and energy to defend things like um, not getting vaccinated or not wearing masks yeah, or being allowed to carry a gun into a school or, or a movie theater. Um, I, it, 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 the disconnect's too great for me as a Christian. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know that I've actually like, and the whole idea has always been like, listen, if everyone's on a level playing field, then like, you know, everyone should get to do what they want and make the mistakes they make and face the consequences and be rewarded. And that all sounds great. I'm like, so when does the level playing field happen? Right. <laughs> and people are like, well, don't be a communist. And I'm like, well, hold on. I'm not. You yeah. said this is, you know, everybody gets an equal shot. We don't have an equal shot. So I, I'm, I don't fit with that model anymore. Mm-hmm. But the basic idea of like what you said about like, um, everybody gets their body. And what if they are the experts of what's right for themselves? I, I was like, oh, I've been, yeah, I, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's where I've been. I thought, but it doesn't, it didn't, it like, anyway, so there's a lot that I have to unwind in my head, politically, Mm -hmm. morally, socially, economically, I've got a lot to work on, but that basic premise of like, what if everyone is just the expert on their body to the degree that one can be right i mean we, yeah. we you know, you know i i find it so i mean this this also goes i mean this does have as you're kind of talking about it does have political ramifications yes you know as somebody who um tends to vote for democratic candidates and you know does is on that kind of part of the spectrum one of the things that always comes up is like you know pe- people always want to make sure even on the left broadly defined that people aren't getting sort of more than they deserve or that they're doing with their benefits what we think they should do with their benefits. So don't give that homeless person money. They might use it for drugs. Right. Or that person is begging on the side of the road, but they have a cell phone. You know right. what? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm progressive, but. I know. <laughs> yeah. So there's this, um, there's this impulse within us generally to kind of like always be kind of looking, you know, at someone else's paper and saying, well, that person is doing this wrong, or that person is using their food stamps to buy lobster and steak. And how dare they? And, um, you know, I don't know if you saw the, the news that came out that, um, poverty over the last year, like dropped significantly, even during a pandemic, even when a lot of people were out of work, because of the stimulus checks and because like the government just gave people money and let them do with it right (laughs) what they needed to do some people bought drugs and alcohol yes (laughs) i probably brought i i i 100 (laughs) bought alcohol with some of that money that's the thing i didn't buy any drugs but well probably some prescription ones but yeah no it's true but and that's i mean but, but your point is great like like left, right, doesn't matter. Like our culture, our, our humanity is geared towards like, I love what you said, looking at the other person's paper, like checking to be like, huh, did you get it right? Like, I'm going to give you this, but like, what if, you know, like, I don't know, what if I'm just, what if, what if I just give you money and, and, and then you do whatever you're going to do? Yeah. And I think, I mean, even, um, you know, I, I work at an urban church and a lot of people come in, you know, walk in needing assistance with all kinds of things, rent, electricity bills, 
pharmaceutical prescriptions, you know, all, all the things like that. And like one of the great privileges of my life sometimes is just being able to write them a check. They don't have to fill out a form. They don't have to go through means testing. They don't have to, you know, yep. have an ID or show me their social security card or like all the things no. that a lot of the programs that we have. I mean, you know, we want to be good stewards of of our money and all that stuff. Um, but also like sometimes people just, just give them money and they'll know what to do with it. I mean, even this, you know, the, the kind of under, um, under touted uh, thing of this child tax credit for a lot of families. I mean, ideally it's gonna really reduce childhood poverty because it puts money in people's pockets to, get a babysitter so they can work longer hours or, you know, I mean, do whatever. But it does this, but it do does this, it. it does this profoundly libertarian thing, which is it trusts them to make decisions for themselves with that money. Yeah. <laughs> like just, Oh yeah. I trust you to make a decision. What if it's not the right decision? Who's it's not my job to decide. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I, you know what you sound like right now? Very Jesus scene. It's freaking me out. No, because like Jesus, like like the whole idea of like like Jesus being like, listen, I want you to take care of people, but then like you make sure that they whatever you how you help them, you better make sure that then they use that wisely. Like what? My favorite part about like when Jesus healed people, so many times, especially with the Gentiles, he'd be like, listen, I know I'm gonna heal you, okay? Don't tell anyone. Yeah. And then the <laughs> very first thing they do, the very first thing they do is disobey Jesus and tell everyone. Yeah. I love that. And th and it's not like all of a sudden their malady returns because they disobeyed Jesus. Like they're like, oh no, I'm going to tell anyone I want. Thanks pal. But uh, thanks for saving my life. I'm going to go tell the world. Right. Like, it's like, even Jesus is like, and then he's unconcerned. He's like, well, anyways, next thing. Like there's a, there's a real scarcity thinking that goes on of like, um, I need to know what you're going to do with that. Yeah. Um, like, like, just thinking about how we partner with people in their lives. Mm -hmm. Like there's a difference. The whole system's broken because we don't know the people who come and ask us for money and we don't share life with them, mostly, mostly. And so, but the system is set up for them to learn. I mean, they'll come with a, a story all rehearsed and prepared. Oh yeah, yeah. Because they think they have to tell you that story for you to give them something. I had a guy who had genuine health issues show up and you could tell he had health issues. I mean, he didn't have to fake that. Yeah. But he starts pulling out all these prescription bottles to show mm -hmm. that he's on all these meds. And man, one, I don't know if he's on all those meds right now. Right. Like, I don't know if those are all his bottles. I didn't check. But he's got this whole thing rehearsed. And I'm sitting here just being like, I'm just thinking like, wow, he's human and I'm human. And I'm in a position where I can give him something and he's in a position where he needs something. Mm -hmm. and he is forced to go through this whole rigmarole of proving to me that he's worthy of the thing that I have that I can just give him and how much, and pardon me, but what bullshit that is. And so I'm like sitting there being like, buddy, like, I don't, it's okay. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is what I can do. And I'm going to do this thing. And maybe I could have done better. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have done as much. Who knows? But I remember one time, this is at a previous church. I did this. I, I we had many, my previous church, there was a much larger homeless population around the church than there is where I am now. And so I had a lot more interactions with people experiencing homelessness, right? But when I was done meeting with this person, like I went back into the office and the, my, my, at the time administrator, not here again, back, back in California, she was like, like, you know, that was all like a, like a routine, like a, a bit. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, you don't know what he's going to use that money for. And I was like, not a clue, but I know he needs it way more than we do. Yeah. I was like, imagine living your life where you have feel the need to like walk up to and essentially a cold call, walk up to some clergy person because clergy people apparently are supposed to be nice to you yeah. and, 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 and then go through a rehearsed speech about how you need something just so that they can deem you maybe worthy to give you a thing that keeps you maybe fed and maybe housed, or maybe gives you the drugs or alcohol or whatever enough for a day. Yeah. And then tomorrow you'll have to do it again. That sounds like hell. Right. And so, yeah, like, 
whatever. I guess it's just like whatever, whatever it takes, you know, but I don't know. I, I feel like it goes back to what you're talking about. Like, like where, how, because we have money, by the way, and mm -hmm. privilege, we associate that with us being morally better. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like how much pressure do you and I feel to make sure that the people who give the most to our church are happy and, and, and heard. <laughs> and, and, and of course, like we want everyone to feel happy and heard all mm -hmm. of them, everybody. We love the people at our church. I love the people at my church. I know you do too. And I love the people who give a lot. And I love the people who give a little, and I love the people who don't give any. And, and I love the people who could give less and who could give more. I love them. But like when someone who gives a lot is angry, it definitely hits me different. Yeah, you sort of sit up and who, pay attention. <laughs> you pay attention differently than someone who doesn't give a lot when they're angry. And there's and that's the system where we're where we pay, we're in the system, right? We're company people. We fall we fall into line. Like we go like because all of a sudden something in our heads goes, like, like, mm, am I gonna be able to will I have to lay anybody off if I anger this person? Mm. Am I gonna take a pay cut if this person gets angry enough? I don't know. So we went on, I went off on a tangent. We were talking about <laughs> acknowledging the blessing of our trans siblings. And anyway, yeah. no, I, went I, um, I went a little sideways. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, I, what I think the things I was going to say under the umbrella of that conversation is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a cradle Episcopalian. I have been part of this church for my whole life. I've dabbled, I've dabbled with the Methodists and the Presbyterians, um, but this is, this is my home. And, you know, like home, sometimes I have some real issues with it and it doesn't mean I'm going to leave, but it means that like, you know, I've got, I've got some gripes. I've got a real problem with you people is you yeah. know, sometimes the thing that I want to say, but uh, one of the things that made me just, I'm, may, I might cry over this, made me okay. so glad to be in the church that I am in is that in the conversations I've had in uh, both as somebody who is on kind of a camp board and somebody who was sending some of our kids at church to other camps, one of the things without fail that every Episcopal camp and conference center is thinking about and trying to do is how to welcome trans kids and mm -hmm. how, how to minister to them, how to make them feel comfortable and, and seen and loved. And given the other kinds of conversations that were happening in Tennessee and a lot of other states at that time about trans kids in sports and trans kids in bathrooms and all the, all the issues to know that I am part of a church that its institutions and entities were um, trying to, to do good by trans kids. Like I was like, Oh, okay. Right. The Episcopal church is not that bad. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, I mean, it's like what, when Churchill said democracy is the worst kind of government, except for all the other kinds. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of how I feel about the Episcopal Church. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, no, especially when you look at issues um, around honoring, caring for, and showing respect and, dig and, and, and acknowledging the dignity of our LGBTQ plus siblings. We have a long way to go, but we're a church that's acknowledging it's work we need to do. Yeah. And, and our friend Annie's on and she said, yay camp. Annie's a big camp fan. And she knows, she knows like, and it's totally true. Uh, when I was back in California, I was on the board of the Episcopal, uh, the diocesan camp, uh, Camp Stevens, uh, the board of advisors. And there was one summer when I was a chaplain there where like um, ha half the counselors were were either, either were, were, were not cishet. Mm -hmm. And the counselors, I mean, these are the leaders and this is the way, and I mean, it was powerful. Yeah. And like, I mean, it just changed the dynamic. That was the first time that I ever had to learn how to change pronouns and talk differently mm -hmm. than I was used to talking. And I was a grumpy old cishet man about it, but like, <laughs> but it was camp that got me there. Yeah. Right. Camp is magical that way. Camp like breaks all the rules because dioceses have set up camp as the place where all the rules can be broken. 
yeah. <laughs> in the name of Jesus. And everyone's like, cool, let's do that. Don't worry, it's camp. Right. And yeah. It's like <laughs> all sorts of fantastic, glorious, spirit-filled things happen, right? That's yeah. Awesome. And I but I think um, you know, and for me as as a leader, as a priest, as somebody who um works with young people both in camp and kind of outside of camp, just the statistics about like um LGBTQ suicides and like the right. the the percentage of kids that will stay alive if they have an adult in their life that like recognizes their pronouns, calls them Literally. by the name that they want to go by. Right. Like it's just drastic. And how right. little does that require of me to keep a kid alive? Like, right. Right. It's just it's just mind blowing. Right. <laughs> You, do you want, do you want to keep this kid from killing themselves? Yes. Okay. You're used to saying he, but you're going to have to say she, nope. Can't do it. What? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, you're right. It's a, it's, it's, I mean, I, I think that's another place where for me, where, and it's not about, by the way, who Jesus was or what I learned, you know, in Bible study about Jesus. It's about really for me the ongoing experience of being in relationship with Jesus Christ right now mm -hmm. and how Jesus has worked. Because people will be like, well, what does it say about sexuality in the Bible? And I'm like, can we stop? Can we stop using the Bible for like as a reference book? <laughs> like, like as a as a as a you know, whatever that thing is called, like a no, like as a reference book for life. Like, let's look in the index about where it talks about this. Well, Jesus didn't say anything about it, so it must not matter. No, no, that doesn't work. Like Jesus is saying something about it right now. This is the thing I need Christians to like get on board with. Stop talking about what Jesus would do or what Jesus would say. Jesus is alive and present in the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is moving and acting and living in this world right now for transformation, for, for the revelation of who God is. It's happening now. We don't need to wonder what Jesus would do. Jesus is respecting and honoring trans people. Is the church going to get on board? Yeah. To, with Jesus, I right. would if I were the church. And I think, as you said, the Episcopal Church is moving in that direction in the in a way that's really, I think, healthy and beautiful and light and and make, gives us hope, gives people like you and me hope for yeah. our church. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing I want to say and make sure that I I kind of reiterate, though I think I've said this on the show before, is that um, by honoring trans people and also, you know, gay and lesbian, bisexual, queer, all the LGBTQ plus spectrum, um, the church isn't doing them a favor. Yes, keep like going, we, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think we, and I include myself in that as a cishet woman, yeah. um, white woman, like we kind of are like, oh, you are welcome here and we're doing you a favor right, by right, having you right. join our culturally cishet right, <laughs> white right. space. We will we have now decided that you are allowed to also be incorporated into and um and become like us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and what we what our posture should be is that by 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 welcoming by including people like that are that fit outside kind of the normal quote unquote normal spectrum of what the church is used to we are asking the church to change they are asking the church to change and in doing so the church is becoming more christ-like more true to being the body of christ and and I, I i even feel this within myself of like i'm part of a welcoming church and like come to our church and you know you too can have a you know a pretty normal looking life where you know, <laughs> like that kind of fits the um standards of just kind of being a white-ish middle class upper middle class person and culturally you do the same things as all the other cishet people do and and like that's not that's not what I want I want um I, I want our LGBTQ plus siblings to, to radically challenge and change the church. And, and that's like a big, that can be a big ask. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, first of all, amen. <laughs> yes. 
um, we got to seek, uh, we've got to seek uh, to follow them. The, the, the heteronormative white culture that we represent, what does it look like for us to repent? I think it looks like us listening mm -hmm. and seeking to understand others, not so that we can like bring them to our level, <laughs> but so that we can maybe be fortunate enough to experience life alongside others whom God has been blessing all along, which transforms all of us in our understanding of who God is, right? Like Annie says, the church doesn't get to decide if it's welcoming. It's 100% right. Like, we're welcoming. Uh, are you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had people say, I don't know why people don't feel comfortable bringing their kids into the right to service. We're very welcoming of children. Well, obviously we're not because that they're not comfortable. That's, that's how you can tell. That's, that's how you know we're not welcoming. <laughs> if we were welcoming, they'd be in the space, but yeah. they're not. So it's like, it's like, that's how we would show. And then like, it isn't about, and the whole concept even, I mean, so this is, you'll, I think you'll find this interesting, right? Our previous bishop um, was, was very much at the forefront in his theological writing and his voting and all of the things around um, uh, same-sex marriage. And, and um, he actually was an about face from his predecessor. His predecessor was a, a lovely guy who was very social justice oriented and very uh, loved Jesus and did all that. And everybody loved the, the, pre, the guy before him, but he was like on same-sex marriage stuff. He was just like, nope, nope. And then Tom came in the most recent, the, the, our previous bishop, and he was like, no, actually, yes, we're going in this direction. Like in the, in the book about the same-sex blessing liturgy, like he wrote the theological mm -hmm. treatise for it, blah, 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 all that, right? Um, but he always, he, he was also a person who was very much not a proponent of what is often known as open communion, which means mm -hmm. communion for anyone, including the unbaptized. But his reason wasn't that it was like going to kill them or the church would die. He was like, <laughs> we have this idea that it like the church is something that is like, we have this thing and we have to be hospitable to you as you come into our thing. And he's like, that's a, that's a fundamental problem with the way we think about church mm -hmm. is that this is our club. And to show you how welcoming you welcome you are in this club, we're even going to let you do this thing, this ancient ritual that Christians have been doing for 2000 years. We're just going to let you do it. Do you know what it means or why you should do it? No, nah, that doesn't matter. We're, we're welcoming. <laughs> we're welcoming. So we're doing this thing. And he was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, like, first of all, if we're interested in like, if we're, if we're interested in like how we care for people outside of our little thing, then we need to break down those walls and get out mm -hmm. and be present outside. Like, don't keep doing all the same things you've been doing and then just say, but now we let non-Christians take communion. So we're welcoming. Right. He's like, what are we even talking about? And so it was, he was very much at odds with the rest of our diocese, including this parish about that. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was a really helpful, I actually really liked it. And I thought, you know, like, like what if we didn't think of communion as a hospitable act? Like that's for like, oh, it's, well, we're just showing hospitality. Like, it's like, well, I wouldn't invite you to my party and not let you have some of the hors d'oeuvres, you know, like that's <laughs> how we treat it. Yeah. So anyways, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there, but I, it's that idea of like, of us thinking the church is something that we decide what it is. And then we let you in and we'll let you assimilate. Yeah. Which I makes think us a lot of, generous. I'm, I'm going to actually reference a movie. Usually you, you're the movie guy, <laughs> but I think oftentimes of the, um, the scene in my big fat Greek wedding where she brings her boyfriend home and he, and she's telling her family like, well, like he's going to come for dinner, but he's a vegetarian. And right. the family member says, it's, it's okay. I make lamb. And right. like, that's, I feel like, that's what I feel like these conversations are like sometimes like right. somebody tells us like, this is kind of what I am and what I need. And we're like, oh, okay. We're going to do this thing that you didn't ask for. <laughs> but, but it's because we're showing you that we're interested. I yeah, yeah. We make plan. We and make like, plan. It's not that it's like, uh, you know, it's not necessarily offensive or you know, no. out of, you know, um, a bad place. But 
Um, I think, you know, as, as with a lot of human institutions, we want to do a lot more talking and action than we want to do listening and, and digesting of people's um, experiences and what they want and need. Right. I got a thing. Okay. <laughs> Just, you hit, you hit me over the head. Um, grace isn't something we give people by allowing them to come into our space. Grace is what they give us when they are willing to put up with our fumbling and bumbling attempts at trying to connect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I mean, as you were kind of saying, like, and everybody's got it. Yeah. We're still, we're still learning. We may say something or use some terminology or, um, refer to something in a way that is offensive or harmful. And, and that's certainly not the intention. And, um, you know, if when we do that, you can offer a loving correction and offer us that grace. We're not entitled to it. We're not entitled to it. (laughs) But if you do. Yes. That's where. I was, I was, and don't ask why, but I was reading, I was rereading a conversation that I had on social media with someone um, five years ago. (laughs) That sounds healthy. (laughs) It wasn't. Um, But it was one in the morning. So I'm sure everything was fine. Right. We're all making bad choices right now. Melatonin hadn't kicked in yet. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Can you see the flames going around me while I'm like, everything is fine? Yeah. But what I was like, I was like reading these conversations I was having with this person and I was like, wow. They put up with a lot from me. Mm. They really showed me grace. They really showed me grace. (sighs) Look at that. I think that a lot, by the way, when you and I are talking and I'll like go off on some freaking tangent and I'm like, oh my God, Kira's so gracious. <laughs> hey, quick question, by the way, side, side note, mm-hmm. how was your time off? Um, it was okay. Okay. It was okay. Um, Did you, you get know, any rest? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I like that. We, so my husband and I, his family has a house in a small town in northeastern Nevada and um there was a lot of kind of drama leading up to it we were kind of going up there for a funeral like a memorial service of um one of the sort of founders of the town in its current incarnation so there were just a lot of feelings and a lot of um a lot of grief and a lot of that grief was around um you know my in-laws are are aging they're in their 80s mm. and they are they just can't do the things that they kind of used to do as easily as they used to do them um and this town is pretty remote and i think the mm. and they but they love it a lot and one of the mm. questions is how often can they kind of keep going up there yeah so um you know it was just that that part of it was hard (laughs) that is hard but we also got some time alone and um time to kind of enjoy the uh enjoy the scenery and the the natural area there though it's and not work and not work and um you know, at the same time, I had had a, a, a beloved parishioner die like three days after I left, um, <laughs> which we kind of knew was going to happen. I mean, I did last, I did yeah. administration at the time of death on Thursday before I left on Friday. Yeah. And um, so I came back and did, and did that service um, on Sunday evening, but it's yeah. just been a lot of, it's a lot, it's just a lot of death. And, and I, one of the, one of the things about a, a climate like Northeastern Nevada is that, um, you know, there are a lot of questions about how climate change is going to affect yeah. what that looks like in the future. And even yeah. we had kind of made a special trip to go to these mountains that are a little bit of a drive away. And uh, we we're going to drive up this canyon and hike. And part of the road to the canyon was closed because of mudslides. Right. And, and, when we got there, the air was pretty clear. And as we kind of were leaving, it was getting, I mean, it was breathable. It was fine, but you could, that you couldn't see the mountains in the distance. Mm. It was hazy. Mm. Um, you know, the effect of all, all the wild, the wildfires and stuff. So it was good. And it was also like, oh, great. We are, let me have an existential crisis over everything. Right. <laughs> well, 
did you get to get a cheeseburger after the after your funeral i did <laughs> was it a good cheeseburger it was you know again it was just kind of okay like unfortunately it was yeah. you know i i didn't want to complain about it because a lot of places are short staffed right now and sure. are really struggling but it wasn't what it could have been it, the the cheeseburger i think was a little bit cold because they were waiting for the fries to come out of the fryer is what oh. is what my explanation of the, the i would almost be like dude just bring me the burger and bring me the fries when they're ready i'll I get know. to work on this burger <laughs> don't worry i won't be mad um so you know it's i'm i'm kind of having to let go of some of my expectations about things yeah and how they're going to go and and sometimes that's kind of painful because i just feel like i'm um you know maybe preparing to be disappointed <laughs> yeah yeah i get that completely i hate when burgers are disappointing yeah i mean the burger itself was pretty good i was just like hmm, what's going on here it feels like something is not quite right it took a while everything kind of took a little bit longer than i thought it would anyway yeah. i mean you know, every, everybody's short staffed. It's it a hard time true. for everybody. Hey, there's a question for you in the chat. Did you see it? Oh, hold on. Let me pull it up. I could just read it for you, but I'll let you see Here, it. What's your kitty's name? Um, the one sneaking around in the background is Tilda Megatron Swinton, <laughs> but we call her Tilda. <laughs> Tilda Megatron Swinton. I love yes. it. Named of course, after the Tilda Swinton. Right. Right. No, I, yeah. Not the, yeah, yeah. Not the plumber. Not the plumber. <laughs> um, That's awesome. How long have you had Tilda Megatron Swinton? So she was actually my husband's cat oh. and we, or he acquired her. Um, he acquired October. Her. He acquired her. He acquired her. Um, I guess it was like three years ago now. It was on my birthday. So you guys were together at that point. We were together at that point. And okay. it was one of those things like, are we getting are, like we weren't living together like are we getting this cat like is this gonna be our, our cat, cat or like your cat that I right <laughs> how much do i care is what i need to know like how much yeah. like what level of care am i supposed to have about all this i mean i think we sort of both had the the feeling that like the relationship was going somewhere you know um oh my gosh. but like there are those moments of like okay you're like getting this pet is this going to be a pet that like at some point also becomes mine you know yeah so, the answer is yes. And Megatron, yeah. that's that that's Transformer. Yeah. Yeah. Betsy's Betsy Berry's on and she's got Lucky and Callie. I met her cats the other day. Aww. One has no tail and the other one has uh, six fingers on each hand, like like uh like the count from Princess Bride. Like it's like this like a kitty cat, but with like extra, like extra paw. And they're oh. awesome. They're super awesome cats. And they're yeah. and they watch us every week. They check us out. Oh, good. Yeah. I, you know, I found, um, during when we were kind of only doing live stream church that there were a lot of pets that were being introduced to the gospel for the first time. Yeah. And, and I always, I had one, <laughs> I had a couple of parishioners who were like, every time we like settle down and get ready to watch church, like the cat just comes up and like pays attention. This wants to, <laughs> to watch so do, it, so do, do animals have souls, Kira? Ooh. No, let's not do that today. Let's, not... <laughs> let's take a let's take a break. Let's take a break. Yeah. I have a feeling I actually know where you and I both are on this. I could be wrong. I think we probably might say both. I'm, yes. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure the people that are listening aren't ready for that just yet. Uh Kathy sent me a question earlier oh. that I want to share. We only have only eight minutes, but I did want to, I think you'll like this. So she wanted me to recount the story of what she heard about that there was an impromptu baptism at my church this past Sunday. Yeah, I saw some of those pictures yeah. on Instagram and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I just want to, so we had a baptism planned for a family that's been here a while and and uh, they were married here right before I got here and they had their child, I think right before the pandemic began or maybe right, at, I think it might've been right after. And so when we weren't sure, like we kept trying to plan this this uh, baptism and we were going to do it outside in the park and then everything went uh, purple and uh, uh, would like the color of the county of the spread way back last fall. And mm -hmm. long story short, we could not have this baptism forever. Yeah. So we finally had it this past Sunday. 
And we have a new service. Um, it's not it's not new, but it's a reboot of a service we've had. It's a, it's the non-traditional liturgy service that here is called the banquet. And we've we've changed service times in the last couple of weeks. That hasn't been controversial at all. And we took this service <laughs> and we moved it from one space to another. Also a very non-controversial. Also decision. not not at all. <laughs> we changed the music up um, and and changed it the liturgy. Um, so essentially, just a bunch of really easily accepted and non-controversial decisions all at once. Mm-hmm. However, the service is awesome, and everyone's kind of digging into it. And people, I. I had people come up to me and were like, so listen, I thought this was going to be terrible and it was awesome. And I'm like, you are correct. But anyways, so we had it this past Sunday and we had a baptism scheduled for the service. And I was like, this is a you know couple that's been around and they're, I mean, the wife is a cradle Episcopalian, her dad's a priest. And I was like, are you sure they don't want to be at the right to service? And they're like, no, they want to come to the 11 o'clock. And I'm like, all right, they're oh, wow. going to get it. So we did this non-traditional service, but you know, the baptism still baptism. I mean, baptismal covenant, water on the head, still mm-hmm. a thing. So, but we have the baptismal font. We've moved it to right in the center. It used to be up front and now it's right in the center. And so everyone's gathered around it. And then the kids had come in and I'm like, all right, if anybody wants to come up close, we had all these kids, like everybody masked, everybody masked and all that, but everybody's like all around the font. And so I baptized this girl and um, before I'm like looking at her and I'm like, and I'm, while I'm praying the prayer to consecrate the water, like there's just this thing inside of me that's like, you need to find, she might not be the only person to be baptized today. I don't know how else to describe it. It was just sort of like a tap. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So after I'd baptized her, I just said, uh, if, is there anyone else who having witnessed this baptism and having spoken the words of the baptismal covenant, uh, it feels called to, to, to be baptized today. And three different people raised their hands and not like quietly, like everything like me. And I was like, um, great. And one of them was like, two of them were children that were brother and sister. And the mm-hmm. brother was like, actually, I'm not ready. And I was like, great, no problem. We, But the sister was like, yes, please. And this woman who I'd bet she and her husband and her two children were there. They had a kid during COVID. Um, they, I'd baptized their daughter, but their son had never been baptized. But I, I would have thought they were going to need to get their whole family there and da, 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 da. And so she was mm-hmm. like, uh, can you baptize Bowden? And I was like, I can baptize him right now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, come on over. And then like, I'm like, looked around and I like pointed at a parishioner and I was like, Katie, I'm going to need you to sponsor this child. You know, you need to come up. And my wife was later, I was like, do they know each other? I was like, nope, they'd never met. But now she's that child's sponsor. She's that child's godparent. So there's going to be, now they're in, that's that. So we just bat, like did the baptism for, for Bowden. And then like this other, this little girl, she's like, her parents like, yeah, yeah. No, she, I, I looked at the parents and I'm like, are you good? They're like, yeah. And then they're like, actually, and these people are with us. These are the, here's the godparents. Let's go. Wow. And I was like, great. And like, she's very, uh, she's a diminutive soul um, and a person, not soul, actually her soul is enormous, but she's a diminutive in stature. I like pulled up the little table that I had all the elements on that I, not elements, but like the, the carafe and stuff. Mm-hmm. I like took them all off and I just pulled the table up and I was like, stand up on this. And she like climbed up on it. And I was like, I'm just going to need you to bend over the font and put your head over it. I'm going to put water in here. She's like, okay. And we just like went and did it. And like the, the whole space was just like, like you could feel the energy, like the yeah. crackling, like the tongues on the, the flames of, of yeah. fire on people, on people's heads. And, 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 you know, like everyone, everyone could, it was just there. Like, yeah, it was just like, oh, the Holy spirit. That's what this feels like. <laughs> and, um, more than one person later was like, are you allowed to do that? <laughs> it was, it was awesome. Right, so we can just do that. And I was like, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And they were like, well, what you made these people take a class. And I was like, don't worry, just relax. Everybody got, it's all good. I'm going to look, we're going to make, we're going to follow up those people that they're in. It's, it's good. We're going to make sure. But it was just one of those, like, it was so beautiful. It was so powerful. And it was just one of those, like, I'd had a rough day um, mm-hmm. up to that point already. And the whole day just shifted. My whole, like my whole heart opened up and then it was like, oh, oh, I remember why we do this work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, I've, I've really changed. I don't know if it's the pandemic or what, but I've sort of changed my tune on baptisms. Oh yeah. In, ter- in terms of like, you know, people kind of saying like, well, you know, let's, 
we want to have 18 people there and do this and and now you know what what are the days that are most appropriate for baptisms and and now i'm like when do you want to get baptized we'll baptize you 100 <laughs> percent. well this this yeah kathy points out i mean he goes all the way to acts with philip and the eunuch when they yeah. like what what's to, what there's water what's to prevent me from being baptized? And my joke is always like, well, I need to talk to the committee and then we yeah. need to set up the date and we need to get you this, you know, it's like, um, and I do believe sure that we it's have important. the candles and the <laughs> Annie and I have had this conversation. I do think it's very important to create some formation around and expectations around what baptism is. Yeah. But I, but I, I don't think that that needs to turn into a litmus test or like a, a proving ground or like you have to go through these jump through these hoops beforehand. I'd almost say like, let's baptize you and then make you take classes or something like that. Like, yeah. or have a church that where baptismal formation is happening right? as a church mm-hmm. where we're talking about what it means to be Christian in the world. So that when you get baptized, you know what you're getting yourself into. Just like, like, like you don't just hand, you don't need to just hand communion out to any old person. Although if you do whatever, I'm actually okay with it. But I'm also like, how about we just explain, like we live a sacramental life that shows that we believe that we are being nourished by Christ himself so that we can serve this world. And we need nourishment from God because we can't do it all by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then people can decide for themselves if they want to walk up and put their hands up. Like, but yes, um, I was broken of this habit really early, Kira, because um, my first year of ordained ministry, my daughter was born six days before I was ordained to the priesthood. And my daughter was born with a cleft lip and cleft palate. Mm -hmm. And at three months old, she had to have surgery. Uh, Her first surgery was a lip repair. And um, I had really strong feelings, and this is for a whole other time probably, but I had very strong feelings that I wanted her to be baptized as she was and not after the surgery. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because I was worried that she would die and go to hell on the table or anything. It was that I wanted her to be baptized as she came into the world. And I wanted her baptismal pictures to show her and like the world who would know her, like this is how she is welcomed into the body of Christ, which is a whole lot of symbolism. That's what, she, that's what happens when you get a kid right out of seminary yeah. uh, thinking about this stuff. <laughs> but the reason I bring all the strong thoughts, <laughs> but that meant that we baptized our kid during Lent. Mm. And I remember a priest, like, I remember one of the deans of the cathedral was like, you're baptizing during Lent? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, huh? Well, I guess you're technically allowed to. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> but I asked my rector, I'm like, is it okay? He's like, are we, are we baptizing someone? Then it's right. Like, is, wait, are we, is someone being welcomed into this thing that we're doing and part of it and changing who we, and by the way, baptism changes who we are. Yeah. So, right. Like, like, oh, are, are we going to be transformed by the, by the bringing of a new life into this place? Oh, okay. Should we wait till after Lent for that? <laughs> like, let's get going. Let's do the thing. So anyways. Yeah. I do think one of the tendencies of the Episcopal church as a culture is to kind of say, let's wait, let's yep. follow the rules or how things are properly done. It's so English, dude. And- I wish we <laughs> just acknowledge that it's super white English stuff. And, and that has its place and it can be really good. And yet there's also, again, I feel like the pandemic has kind of broken my brain about this a little bit. And part of it was because of choices I made about getting married during the pandemic, which was that I want to do, I, we've been together, we've done premarital counseling. I want to get married as soon as we can. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and, And I've seen, you know, given the trajectory of the pandemic and just the uncertainty of where things are right now, part of me is like, just do the thing, do the thing that you're waiting to do, whether it's get baptized or, um, if someone dies, like have a funeral, even though it doesn't look like the funeral that you maybe had hoped to have, like to, to acknowledge those markers in a time where so much feels out of control and so much seems uncertain has really kind of given me like some anchors of certainty. I love that. I love that. And I think that's exactly, we've spent so much time waiting for things to get back to normal. I was saying to someone yesterday, um, who's a friend and a colleague in the, in the work, I was like, dude, you weren't happy before the pandemic. Like the church wasn't working. 
And there were things about their church that was going well. And there were things about our church that was going well. But like, if we thought that what was happening before the pandemic was ideal church, and now we've got to try to find to get back to that, like, no, no, my dad, my dad had cancer and he had this cancer called multiple myeloma. And it like Mm. literally it, before he, before he died, it, it, it literally crushed the weight of his body crushed some of his vertebrae because it makes your bones brittle. So he lost, lost, gone seven vertebrae. He was lucky to walk, but he could, but he was hunched over and he was, and he was um, seven inches shorter uh, than he was at the beginning of this thing. So he was all hunched over. He was five, two, instead of five, nine, he was several years older. He's in remission. This whole bit can't get fixed. Like there's no way to fix it. Mm-hmm. And, and in his mind, he said, I have to get back to my pre-cancer weight. I, I, I weigh too little. I need to get back to my pre-cancer weight. Now, you and I have had offline a lot of conversations about what a, what proper weight is. And that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, body image, all that stuff. My, my, my father, we are in a family where, where um, we've never been underweight in our family. I'll just say that. And, and, and he had diabetes, had type, mm-hmm. what's the one you get as an adult? Is that type one? Type two. type two. He had type two diabetes. And he was like, I'll eat and drink my way back to my, my pre-cancer weight. And I was like, dude, you don't have your pre-cancer body. <laughs> like you're trying to make yourself something that you can't be. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I just think about that in, in terms of like what we were and my dad's body prior to the cancer may have been diabetic and may have been a low, little overweight, but it was a beautiful, fantastic body that carried him through life and was very beautiful and wonderful and, and flawed. The mm-hmm. church is beautiful and wonderful and flawed. This thing has happened to us. And we're trying to get back to the kinds of flaws that we like specialized in prior, <laughs> like cut it. And I'm me too. Cause it's normal and comforting, mm-hmm. but like baptize the person, get married, do the funeral, you know, like do the thing, do the thing. I don't know. I mean, I'm, who am I to say I'm wearing jeans right now. So don't listen to me. Okay. <laughs> like I'm clearly an anarchist now. So don't listen to me. Um, I won't stand up and prove that by the way. Um, we've got to go, but I have to know what you've been listening to. Um, so as I, as I mentioned, kind of before we were live, I went to my first concert last night, like that required tickets and everything. And, um, it was at the Ryman auditorium and it was the band big thief. Um, which I, I think you, you like to give me songs. So I'm going to give you a song to listen to and it is um oh gosh i love i thought it was called cattails yes that's what it's called it's called cattail Um, what a theme we've got a theme cattails yeah i mean it's more about the plant than (laughs) uh but it was great to kind of and they required you know proof of vaccination or a negative covid test and maybe about 75 to 80 percent of people were wearing masks and um it, it felt pretty it felt pretty good to just yeah. kind of be be in a space of like hearing live music again mm. and so uh, I also found one of my complaints about some of their albums is that I find the vocalist a little bit hard to understand um and I feel I felt like I could understand the lyrics better live which is not usually That's the very case. rarely the case <laughs> That speaks to the the acoustics at the Ryman and it speaks to the sound mix too. Yeah. So I, it was very enjoyable. I was out a little bit later than I should have been on a Monday night, but. Um, so big thief. Yeah. Big thief. That tells. Uh, since last time we spoke, I also went to my first concert since the beginning. Yes. Of the I went and saw St. Vincent at a new theater here in Cincinnati called the icon. And I've seen St. Vincent once before, but I don't know well how well you know her. I, highly recommend you turned me on to mass seduction yes yes that's such a good record oh dude so she put out an album after that called mass education Mm -hmm. which is the same track listing but it's just her and a guy on piano yeah you know i listened to that version and i was like this feels very tori amos ish to me sure like (laughs) yeah yeah that's that doesn't sound like an insult (laughs) <laughs> um, um, but her new album's called daddy's home 
and it's kind of got like a kind of like a kind of grungy funk soul uh feel like like retro 70s feel to it mm-hmm. without being without in my opinion without feeling like appropriation it feels mm-hmm. very much like right um but it's a good album and it's typical for and her show was spectacular and same thing of vaccinations to get in the door and uh i'd say probably 50 percent masked and i had my mask on most of the time but but people kind of kept their distance because it was like i was on the floor and it was general admission and you could you know uh, <laughs> annie says and now i will listen to tori amos i'm gonna leave this room and i'm gonna hear tori playing down but uh but anyway so so but check out her new album daddy's home but live music i can't i've still i've got to get my tickets for the symphony for this season i still haven't done that but live music is just yeah well i've got mine for the symphony here so if you ever want to come down and go to the symphony with me i might want to do that <laughs> i might want to do that i would love to do that and likewise yeah likewise, get you up here now, i'm only going to be getting two tickets so it'll be really awkward for you when i take michael yeah to... <laughs> it would be pretty funny if like michael and my and krista like like i guess we'll we'll just hang out here while you and phil go to the symphony i I mean, we know this isn't weird, but it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I will say that my husband does not usually go to the symphony with me. That's my point. That's my it's point. It's not really like, Krista will thing. go. Krista will be like, you're going to get 12 tickets. Like, you're going to go to 12 shows. I'm going to go to like five of those. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and um, uh, one time, so the, the, um, the timpanist at our Cincinnati, Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra is a parishioner and a friend. And like one time, like more than once, actually, I took his wife. Mm-hmm. And she was like, like, Technically, this could look weird to people, but like my husband's right there. Like I can see him. He's on the stage. This is okay, right? Like he, I'm like, yeah, like this is all gonna work out. But it's just one of those funny things. Ah ha ha. Weird heteronormative traditional dynamics. So much fun. Right. Anyways, you're fantastic. I missed you. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you got some rest. Um yes. and, and um we don't know what we're gonna do. You know what I'd like, you know what I'd like to talk about next week? What? Rest. Ooh. Can we talk about rest next week? We can definitely talk about rest. Yeah. It's, we're just going to um, come on. We're just going to come on and then sit here and not talk for an hour. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like the, um, oh gosh, what's his name? John Cage. Uh, version a song of, that's no, yeah. Four minutes and 33 seconds. Yeah. Um, well, it's good to be back with you all. I know we ran a little bit over, uh, but we will see you next week at yeah. the same bat time, same bat channel. Um, we are, are you there? God, it's Kira and Phil. Take care, friends.